Tokyo's governor, Yuriko Koike, will be in charge of the Japanese capital again for the next four years after a resounding victory uh, in a bid for re-election. She took 60% of the vote, which came on the heels of public support towards uh, what they believe to be her competent handling of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, This is significant not only for Japan, but uh, for uh, the wider region as a whole, including South Korea, Uh, As uh, at least here in Korea, the governor governor is known for her anti-Korean policy. So to discuss this in more detail, we're we're, we're pleased to have joining us the co-founder and editor of Tokyo Review, Paul Nadeau, on the line. Hello. Good morning. Good morning to you, sir. For uh, some background on Yuriko Koike, uh, the way it's being painted in the press, she kind of comes off as a uh, sort of U.S. Senator John McCain type figure, the late senator who was known as being a maverick, bucking his own party from time to time. How would you describe her as a politician? You know, that's the first time I've heard that comparison, but I would completely agree that her reputation is as a maverick. Uh, She got her rise to prominence under the premiership of Junichiro Koizumi about 15 years ago. And he himself was known as a maverick. Mm. And mm. one of her roles was to campaign against LDP, that's the Junichiro Koizumi's party and Koike's as well, uh, LDP incumbents that opposed uh, Koizumi's policies. They called her an electoral, quote-unquote, assassin. Mm. Um, so she's always kind of bucked the trend. She also served as Minister of Defense in the past, and she ran for presidency of the LDP, uh, but unsuccessfully. Now, when she got to her gubernatorial campaign, she ran as an LDP politician, but without the backing of the party itself. And they advanced their own candidate. They cautioned their membership against supporting Koike. And her whole campaign, meanwhile, was based on the promise to clear out the smoke-filled rooms and backhanded deals that the Japanese public associates with LDP governance. Now, she won big the first time around. She founded a new political party, and that got a lot of buzz, uh, seeing her as a possible successor to Prime Minister Abe or even the party that she founded, uh, challenging the LDP on a national level, which would be pretty significant. In the lower house election that followed, though, her party fell completely flat on its face Mm. for a bunch of reasons, and it was so bad that she herself actually skipped the country on the night of the election, technically related to her gubernatorial duties. But when your party is up for election and you're the party leader, it's usually a bad look to not be in the country when that happens. That said, she's still managed to hold on. Uh, Her party, like you said, did pretty well, uh, well, significantly well, given 60% uh, support. So her, her political career is still going strong. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Maverick is a good way to describe her, at least in terms of her relations with the ruling LDP. All right. So if we look back then at uh, former Prime Minister Koizumi's sort of uh, mm. uh, lineage here, then we can just say from, let's say, the Koizumi tree, so to speak, you have Abe, who was a former chief cabinet secretary uh, of of that uh, government. And then you have Koike. And they're obviously on diversion paths right now. How are they right now? Because it does appear to be that in terms of the perceived handling of the coronavirus pandemic, that uh, Koike is faring far better with the public. Is that right? Than Abe is? Well, I'll put it this way. One of the things that makes Yuriko Koike stand out as a Japanese politician is that she's actually comfortable in public. 
And I say this because most politicians, frankly, look awkward and even a little bit staid. Koike actually got her career, uh, her career began as a news anchor. So she's very comfortable mm. in front of cameras. She looks relaxed, at ease, assured when she's on TV. And so regarding the COVID crisis, she appeared on uh, YouTube every night. And a lot of the times these speeches were simulcast on NHK, the national broadcaster. And so she was able to project an image of being on top of the situation. Uh, she was calm. She was assured. Uh, she looked like she was handling everything very competently. Now, to be fair to Prime Minister Abe, Koike doesn't have to worry about the same competing interests that he does. Now, to Abe's credit, he's done what a lot of you know leaders in other countries who shall remain nameless have not done, which is listen to the experts. <laughs> and in that regard, Japan's disease response to the pandemic itself, to the virus itself, has been pretty darn good. Where Abe's really dropped the ball is in regards to the economic countermeasures to try to uh, protect the economy and protect um, you know, professional life. Uh, there was a two-mask-per-household program that got off very awkwardly, and most of the masks aren't even big enough to cover people's faces. Uh, there was a big dispute about who should receive the economic stimulus package, how large it should be, when it should go out. There's been complicated application procedures to receive it. So on the part where Abe's actually had to exercise some agency, he really hasn't done a very good job with that. Now, um, uh, both of these figures, Abe and Koike, but we'll focus on Koike, uh, they're definitely... Uh, not necessarily favored figures here in Korea because of their deemed no anti-Korean sentiment. And, you know, just citing a couple of things with, with Koike, uh, she supports the revision of the history textbooks that believed here to be papering over some of the atrocities Japan committed. She's also a uh, former Secretary General in Korea, again, very uh, notoriously known as Ilbonhui, which is the uh, the Japan mm-hmm. conference, considered to be the sort of far right-wing cabal of people um, uh, trying to influence policy. Uh, with Koike being re-elected, obviously the press coverage here is not positive. Can we expect then uh, that uh, there will be some uh, future tensions between Seoul and Tokyo as a result? Well, I think it's important that you bring up the Japan conference because in Japan, we are in a lot of the English-speaking world, it's also called Nippon Kaigi by its Japanese language name. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of LDP politicians are members of Nippon Kaigi, and a lot of times it doesn't really mean a heck of a lot. It usually means it's a box to check on their credential plate. They'll go to some of the meetings or the parties, they'll do the toast, and then they'll hurry out to the next meeting or the next event. Koike is a true believer, though. She sat on, I think it was the Policy Council, and if you go by her you know, statements and some of her past actions, uh, she really seems to subscribe to the program. Now, okay. the good news... And sorry, the good news, and I say good news in quotation marks, is that when she, because she's governor of Tokyo rather than, you know, a national central government post, she doesn't have as much opportunity to exercise, you know, maybe, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, red meat signaling mm. policies, you know, you know, like right. protests over comfort women statues or banging the drum to Japanese nationalists. 
That said, those views are definitely there, and they have definitely come to the fore. So they're never far under the surface. Yeah, so I guess what your point is, is that uh, Nippon Kaigi, or the Japan Conference, uh, is not necessarily some kind of skull and bones, Illuminati, <laughs> all-powerful organization that is uh, kind of sinister in its meaning. Like, there are a lot of people just kind of just being part of the club, but Koike herself is actually a, a kind of true believer in terms of the... Uh, ideals of what they are pushing forth. She is not at a national office, so that what is, you're saying, curtailing her ability to perhaps be a little bit more on the forefront of these uh, red meat type of issues. The question, though, is in the future, if it is uh, true that Abe's political fortunes may be fading while hers are rising, and the idea that she could potentially be a potential future prime minister, that would certainly be uh, something that would be deemed problematic for already problematic Seoul-Tokyo relations. Yes, that if that were to happen, I think that would be very troubling, because like you said, even in her you know, job as Tokyo governor, she still found ways to you know demonstrate her anti-Korean sentiment. She's canceled the construction of a Korean school in the uh, district of Tokyo. She declined to send a eulogy to the victims of an anti-Korean pogrom that followed the 1923 earthquake. Um, it's definitely there. And if she were to you know, reach national stage, uh, you could say pretty safely that she would act on it. Now, that said... I think there's not much more of an outside than an outside chance that she would actually be able to challenge the Abe for the prime ministership. Mm. Uh, she first of all, she'd have to make enough peace. She'd have to make peace with enough members of the LDP to become a viable replacement, or and or Abe would have to become so politically toxic that the party would turn just about anywhere, even to a former, like I said, assassin, and to to replace him. So. I think it's there. I think the prime minister's office is still one of her ambitions, but the path is extremely narrow. And without a lot of unforeseen events happening to clear the way, I just don't see it within the realm of possibilities. Okay, uh, let's hit upon a couple of more uh, issues here going forward after her reelection. Summer Olympics, uh, this was a a huge, huge deal for uh, both Tokyo as well as uh, for the Abe government. Still not clear whether there will be a uh, Summer Olympic Games held in Tokyo. It's been postponed. Uh, What are the prospects for that right now, at least from the uh, domestic perspective there? Well, you know, one of the interesting data points that came out of the exit polls from last Sunday's election was how many respondents are in favor of canceling the Games entirely. Even a third of Koike supporters uh, support canceling the election. Uh, can't excuse me, canceling the Olympics. So there's a lot of I don't know if you want to call it anxiety, but people are have a lot of questions about whether this can be pulled off. Now, like you said, it was postponed until next year. If it, assuming it goes off without a hitch means also assuming that enough foreign visitors are going to have yeah. to be able to enter Japan. And with the way the pandemic's going, I just don't see that happening right now. At the same time, you've got a lot of TV broadcasters that pay a lot of money to put these things on TV, and they're going to want some kind of return for their investment. Japan has sunk, you know, trillions of yen into constructing venues, into infrastructure associated with all that. And the thing is, those costs aren't coming back. Uh, it's all sunk costs at this point. So 
something's going to have to give one way or another because the broadcasters are going to want to put something on TV. Tokyo's going to want you know some kind of return on their investment. They're going to have to do something. I don't know what that something is going to look like. I can almost guarantee that it will not be you know the Olympics that we're used to if they're going to be held next year. Uh, but right now, as even though everyone says they're committed to doing the full thing in 2021, uh, you've just got to wait and see. I wouldn't promise anything at this point. Yeah, I mean, just even logistically uh, from the Koreans who would be even willing to go, it's going to be a more than a month ordeal because once you come back, you still have to quarantine for 14 days. So if you're willing to or able to financially uh, be able to uh, put that kind of investment into uh, watching the games in person does seem like a, a pretty tall task as you lay out. Uh, we did run out of time, but Paul, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate this and look forward to talking to you uh, again soon. Not at all. Thank you for having me.